What's good, everybody? I'm John G. Stremski, host of New York, New York with JJ, the first podcast on The Ringer and Spotify dedicated to you, the New York sports fan. We've got episodes three nights a week, plus bonus episodes whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow the show on Spotify. It's the Full Goal, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every, that's right, every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Chicago everywhere, check it. Not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go Podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. Talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. What is this, episode 61? Oh, 62. Son of a bitch! <laughs> did you just get the last one right? I did. did. I did get it right. And I'm not doing this on purpose. I'm just not a smart man, but I know what love is. Welcome to episode 62 of The Full Goal Podcast, I believe. All right, I got the thumbs up from Jesse. I got the <laughs> the relaxing smirk from Chris Tannehill. And look at this, the shadowy figure himself. Steve Cerruti is joining us in the Zoom meeting as well. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm tired of meeting people through Zoom. So I came on out to L.A. to meet uh, the co-host from the other pod I do here at the Ringer, the NFL Ringer feed show, um, the Tuesday show, the Players Edition with James Jones and Ryan Shazier. I got a chance to meet my guys today at the L.A. Convention Center because we are here in Los Angeles uh, for Super Bowl week, Super Bowl 56. Uh Got up at the butt crack of dawn this morning to uh, jump on a, a plane. I was going to say a jet, but I didn't want to really put it out there like that and make people think that the money was any different than it actually is. No, this is this is um, main economy boarding. 
But you know what? This <laughs> but you but you were main main. Yeah, yeah, I was the main, <laughs> and when I was <laughs> boarding an economy, uh, shout out shout out to my fiance for uh, making sure that everything is taken care of in terms of organization. Because I I'm a child, right? I, I ended up trying to pack at somewhere around midnight, twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning uh, to get out the house for a five a.m. flight. Yeah, you can shake your head all you want, Chris Tannehill. Ain't nothing going to change. You know what I'm saying? The years go by, the calendar days roll off, and I'm still the same dude. Uh, so shout out to my my caretaker at this point, <laughs> the person who is uh, making sure that I have uh, pants and shoes on at all times, my my lady, my fiance, Pia. So we, we pull up to, we need to start at O'Hare, by the way. I moved closer to O'Hare than I realized, you know, moving up north instead of being in the South Loop or downtown area, it's a little different trek to O'Hare. It's only about, you know, 15, 20 minutes. We pull up to O'Hare and we pull up to Economy Parking and it's freezing bitter cold and there's nothing like leaving a place that's cold and knowing you're going somewhere that's warm and waiting for that heat to wrap you up the way that this uh, LA temperature did. But I gotta say this, and for the people, the good people over at American Airlines, we got to do something about this legroom situation. And I know, I know people complain about legroom all the time, but I wouldn't complain about the legroom if if the chair in front of me didn't recline like a dentist chair. Uh, the, the, the young man in front of me uh, had a, because t- he had the aisle seat. He did, he did, it. you know, he did what he was supposed to do. If you're not going to be in first class, have the aisle seat and also have the what is it? The the exit row situation going on in front of you too. So he's he's reclining, he's enjoying himself. Uh, I'm in agony for a good four hours and fifteen minutes. You know, thinking that if I persevere, that these interviews or this week will be somehow some way better. That's just me and my dumb mind. Uh, we, we pull into LAX, and I haven't been to LA since 2008. Don't remember the last time I was here. Really, just hanging out, just rolling around with my friends. But. Um, the Los Angeles spot, like I, for some reason, expected to be greeted with like palm trees and like, um, you know, like a Hollywood starlet greeting us at the uh, the Uber slash Lyft shuttle, and, and it wasn't that way. I was I was just surrounded by people coming from Chicago, which you know isn't as glamorous as I thought it was going to be. I expected Saruti to have the the fine people at the Ringer to you know roll out the red carpet for us, and you know like I, I expected a, a a king's welcome. To be honest with you, Tannehill, and uh, well, let's be honest, man, Radio Row is still Radio Row, oh. <laughs> so let's not get it twisted there. I don't know what you expect. There's no different. I mean, there is different Radio Row unless because you're not Jim Rome at this point, so. He's they got their own Dan Patrick's got his own situation there, <laughs> kind of like off to the side a little bit away from people like us and you. But yeah, Radio Row is still gonna radio row on you. And you still have the the the, the engineers. There's a class structure to radio row. Oh <laughs> Let's God. be honest. Right, you guys are being too fucking nice. The Cretans and dregs of society are on Radio Row surrounded by rich people. That's all it is. It is it is people gallivanting through a carpeted convention center, uh, looking at the brokies that surround them. And and I raised my hand when they when they when they had the roll call for the brokies, I was like, here, present. Um, so 
I'll, I'll let you know what happened from start to finish. I didn't even plan on talking about this part of it, but I find my, first of all, the LA Convention Center is exactly what it sounds like, a damn convention center. I walk up to the place asking for directions. You know, a- apparently none of the security people here at the LA Convention Center knew the Super Bowl was coming here or knew that this would be the NFL experience or the NFL shop or more importantly, the media credentialed area. So after the third or fourth security guard that I talked to to find my way. I make my way through some cavernous convention center down to the place that must be the basement. Uh, there are some 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 arrows, some color-coded arrows that I have to follow to get my um, my credential, which has my my terrific you know, selfie on it as my ID, uh, my selfie from the crib. By the way, shout out to the NFL for making sure this thing is secure, lock, stock, and barrel. Like, like the, the information and the instructions that Saruti sent me about about what this photo had to look like. I, I just took a I just took a selfie in front of my TV, pretty much the wrong background. I'm like, ah, this probably won't fly, but it did. Right, first name, last name. I'm feeling real official. I get up to the top of the steps. My man Ryan Shazier. And and listen, I know athletes to do this, so I wasn't even going, you know, make him run it down to me. But he, he pretty much in that moment needed an assistant. So I was like, hey, Ryan, just come down here and let's go through the same process that I just went through. I'll just go through it with you now. So he goes down there. We come back upstairs and we walk into the convention center. And the first voice we hear is a loud, semi in shape beefy man with a tank top on. Yeah, you guessed it, ladies and gentlemen. Pat McAfee is at the door as we walk in. He is screaming like he's jumping. He's doing the Pat McAfee thing. He's jumping up and down. He's screaming at people. Uh, I don't know if these are guests or people that he's about to assault verbally that are sitting on the couch adjacent from him. We walk past that, you know, say hi or whatever, because you're with Ryan Shazier. Right. And he's, you know, Ryan is NFL royalty at this point in his life. So we walk past that. And, and this is the best part, Tanny. People not knowing because of the mask that I don't play football. I'm just next to a football player is the best thing in the world. I'm walking with Ryan. We were, we were joking about it, Jay. We were joking about it the other show the other day about how everyone thought you were a former player. And then I look at the Ringer NFL Twitter account today and it's, it's the player's edition of the NFL show. <laughs> right. Like, oh, no. right. I was like, I think Jason's a player. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and if they do, my money is way too short. So, <laughs> you know, like, let's, let's bump this up in everybody's head, including mine, if I am that. But by the way, man, if you think... On this day, in this week, that I am an NFL player, you are sadly mistaken in in need for a media guide or in need for a true fitness plan. I don't look any... Like, James Jones looks like he just stepped off of a football field two days ago, right? This man hadn't played in some years. Ryan Shazier is still in great shape. People are walking around screaming. There's, there's, you know, you see the CBS Sports setup. You see the SiriusXM setup. You see all the setups. And then you got to walk through, like I said, the dregs and the cretins. Yeah. The local radio row guys. Oh boy, yeah. the local tables. That that's when you know you're dealing with the the stuff right there. Like the Albuquerque. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you already know Boulder, Colorado is checking in on you. You know what I mean? Sacramento. When I was there <laughs> in, in uh, San Francisco for the Super Bowl 50, we were next to a table of I think it was the ticket in Dallas. At the top of every hour, the guy stood up and he went. <laughs> 
of course. Top of every hour. And that's why they're rating in Dallas. That's, oh, they're killing it. They're crushing, dude. Oh, of course they are. Much better than we were. Oh, at least the 12-13 share. They're doing Boston numbers just because you can yodel every once in a while at the top of the hour. You know how it is. And and the last time I was in a radio road, Chris Tannehill, that's when I ran into the very own Danny Parkins. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the last time I was in the Super Bowl, I was in Phoenix, and all I heard from way yonder in the corner of the convention center that we were in for Phoenix was, hey, golf. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> that sounds like the police. I turn around, it's Danny Parkins. Well, I mean, which is kind of one and the same, to be honest with you, but, you know. You guys had a shared experience that night being adjacent to a newsmaker, which we also talked about in the last show. He was also in the same vicinity as said newsmaker. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, good old number 99, making the rounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, man, this is, you know, this is my first night in. I don't mean to treat it like jail or anything like that, but yeah, this is the first night in. We're going to do a little meet and greet with the, the good folks at The Ringer. This <laughs> the is first the other... night's always the toughest. It is. <laughs> it is. I, cr- I cried myself to sleep during my afternoon nap thinking about what what, what tonight was going to be. Fresh but, fish, fresh fish. <laughs> oh, you already know. You already know. Like, Allison the Bounty Hunter has everybody set up. We're, we're, we're going to talk to, you know, uh, uh, former Indianapolis Colts. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk to a lot of different people. We're going to talk to Emmett Smith. We're going to talk to a lot of different, you know, luminaries in the NFL. But boy, oh boy, I, I'm sure we're going to get some people selling some things on this pod that I'm going to have, because you know me, Tanny. I, I, I let people down really, really easily. So I'm sure there's going to be two or three interviews with people selling things that I'm that are going not going to see the light of day on this pod. But, you know, since I'm a nice guy, this is what it has to be. But yeah, I, I was looking forward to tapping in with Jesse, right? I got a couple of, I got a couple of cousins who lived here. Um, Freddie Gibbs, I, you know, shot him a text and was like, hey man, I want to know where I should do the things that I want to do here. And he said, where you at? And, you know, that was three hours ago. So I'm sure I won't hear from Freddie until about Thursday or Friday, right before I leave. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a decent experience so far. It's been, it's been cool. And, and to see the Super Bowl being put on in COVID times is a lot different than the last time I was able to experience one of these things. It's, it's scaled back. Uh, but you you could tell the NFL is trying to throw up all the money it has on the event, but it's like ah, we know y'all are kind of coming, so we'll, we'll only we'll only throw up half of the money on it right now. Um, the the Uber drivers are very friendly because the <laughs> the surge is going to be terrific this evening. But yeah, so far the, the Super Bowl experience has been okay. I got off a plane, I immediately started to work. James Jones left twenty minutes into our show. It is, it's pretty much what a Tuesday has been over the last twenty three. 24 weeks uh my time at the ringer and we talked about the game the game the game the game I, I, you guys already know and, I, and i've mentioned this on sunday i think the bengals gonna win this game uh and we talked about it at, on radio row with ryan and, and james jones and our nfl pod i'm trusting what i've seen out of these quarterbacks so far and one has a small sample size one has a large sample size I think the the Bengals are going to do everything they can to keep this thing as close as possible to the end. And I also think they're going to play a lot of zone defense. They're going to drop eight, drop seven a lot. I listen to, to our guy Ben Solak on the NFL Ringer show uh, for Monday's edition of that. And he talked a lot about them dropping seven and dropping eight uh, pretty predictably and consistently over the last couple of games. And if you're going to do that against Matt Stafford, uh, you did it against Patrick Mahomes, and you saw what happened in that second quarter. So, I'm sorry, second half. Uh, guys get greedy. 
And quarterbacks with that kind of arm talent and more importantly in this instance, that kind of arm arrogance are going to give you the football if you give them a couple of chances as far as dropping back in zone and saying you're going to have to beat us 60, 70 yards down the field to get every one of your points. We saw what happened with San Francisco. Jaquaski Tart in a huge moment dropped a ball that would have sealed the deal for him. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are not going to drop those balls. I, I think Jesse Bates and some of the guys on that defense that you don't know a lot about are going to make some plays on Matt Stafford. Now, of course, the tables will turn. The right side of that offensive line for the Bengals is not playing well at all right now. Nine sacks against the Titans. Not, not as much pressure in the AFC Championship, but uh, Chris Jones and those boys, you know, they hadn't been playing, hadn't been generating that kind of heat during the second half of the season that you would expect an AFC championship defense to generate. That's not the same thing as the LA Rams. The Rams are going to have Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, and Leonard Floyd out there hunting. So whatever the game plan is, Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow got to be on the same page in terms of understanding that, you know, second and nine is better than second and 14, second and 15, right? Third and eight, third and seven is better than third and 12, third and 13. They're going to have to run the football. And even if even if it's to no avail, they're going to have to run the football early down situations, manage those one and two yard gains. And, and if they pop something, they pop something. But Joe Burrow can't get hit 12, 13 times and sack six or seven times by a defense that's ready to do that to him. So the game within the game is something that we were talking about today and we're going to continue to talk about. And as we get closer to the Super Bowl, the underdog is going to be uh, made a better case for. And, and you know, if it's 65-35 now in terms of Rams, Bengals, and people picking winners, I don't know what, what the actual split is, but if that's the feeling right now, the closer we get to this thing, you know it's going to be more, you know, 60-40, you know, 55-45 because of what Joe Burrow is and, in my estimation, what a lot of people think Matt Stafford isn't. Now, is this going to be the game that Sean McVay brought Matt Stafford to the Rams for? Is he going to play the game of his life? I can see that. I, I can see him doing that because he's a talented dude. He's always been a talented dude. He's also been one of the number one picks who's gotten the least amount of scrutiny because of where he played, right? The Detroit Lions uh, hold the um, unenviable label of having two of the greatest players of all time at separate positions probably retire earlier than they should have in Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. But he still had Calvin Johnson. He still had a terrific offense. Defensively, there was some some misgivings. You know, they, they didn't have as much as you would like. And we we don't point out enough that I believe every time Tom Brady's won a Super Bowl, he's had a top 10 defense on the other side of him. So defense matters, running game matters. But in the end, if you're a number one pick and you're the talent that Matt Stafford is, you would have assumed that he would win more playoff games than one in his entire Detroit career. Will Detroit Matt Stafford come out? Uh, will the Joe Burrow come out that we've come to know and love? I mean, and speaking of knowing and loving Joe Burrow, I am absolutely eating up the fact that um, middle-aged white man can't stop talking about Joe Burrow's swag for some reason. It, it's as if we've never seen a cool young white dude in our lives before. The man went to Ohio State and went to LSU. He was around a few brothers. It, it, you know what I mean? Like He picked up a few things, and it's just him. He's a cool dude, but boy, you know, I, I turned on SportsCenter a couple of nights in a row, and I usually don't do that. Man, everybody's talking about Joe Cool and Joe Swag. And the man wore a chain over a turtleneck, and you would think that is the return of Huggy Bear, right? <laughs> you, would, you would think that it's the return of the coolest, like, shaft or 
something. Like, no, it's just Joe Burrow just being a, a young, cool dude. So that that that'd be my uh that'd be my first little salvo that I'd fire is hey, knock it off with the Joe Swag stuff. Lamar Jackson's been dressing this way for five years now, guys. All right. I don't, I don't know if you know the the dude in Buffalo, you know, Muhammad Allen, <laughs> Jamal Allen out there. I don't call him Josh because that's the way that my man be playing sometimes. But yeah, I, I see Josh Allen. Yeah, I don't know if you've uh, heard him talk or not, but he, he learns when he go to school, Wyoming. Is that where he went? He went to Wyoming, right? Yeah. The Wyoming cowboy is a little cooler than you think he is. You know why? <laughs> because younger white dudes who play sports these days sound and look like Joe Burrow more often often than you think. But you know why I love the Joe Burrow thing? Is because there's people in the in the in the shadows, not Steve Cerruti, the shadowy figure here on this pod, but there's people in the shadows who act as if, oh, look at him. He his coolness and his his confidence are gonna, you know, they're gonna torpedo him. Listen, Baker Mayfield is the only one that had all the coolness and confidence in him that is, you know, some mid. You know what I mean? Like, it, we were all holding on for Baker. The first time that Baker Mayfield hit the Dougie as an Oklahoma Sooner, we were like, yes, we got one. <laughs> we got one. And then he turned into Baker Mayfield. Joe Burrow ain't that. Joe Burrow's a dude who, and it's going to sound cliche, and it is cliche. He's a dude that makes people better around him. He, and th- this team should not be in the Super Bowl. It shouldn't have been an AFC championship. Hell, I didn't know if this was a playoff team coming into this season. But Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon and that defense, who's a lot better than a lot of people think, have all been riding away. And Joe Burrow is the dude who's riding it, the best of all of them. So if it comes down to the most important position on the field, which is quarterback, and this game is close, I think there is a higher likelihood of Matt Stafford being Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow. And you can take that however you want. Time for some commercials. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Somebody looked at the box score. Um, what would you tell them about this game? It, without question, did not tell the story of the game. I thought as the game wore on, we played at a higher and higher, higher standard. And um, to start the game, it was almost like they forced us to play at a higher level. And we've got to be able to do that ourselves, you know, just in, in my opinion. So, how'd that go for us, Bulls fans? The Phoenix Suns are the best team in the NBA. We can mess around and have fun with this Golden State Warriors thing all we want with, ooh, look at Clay and look at Steph and and Andrew Wiggins is an all-star and Draymond Green is founded, you know, at the end for this run for the Warriors. Nah, man, it's the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are as 
flawless a team as you'll find in the NBA. And I'm not making any excuses for what the Bulls did or didn't do against them. Bulls don't play any defense, right? It's the, anybody can get 115 on the Bulls right now. Anybody. Me, Jesse, Tanny, and Sarudi. We don't know if Sarudi's going to be the shadowy figure or the guy that we've come to know and love. But the five of us can go out, well, the four of us and, you know, one extra dude can go out there. Maybe Allison the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, Allison can go out there and hit some jumpers. You know, they can't control Allison at the at the point of attack on the pick and roll. You kidding me? DeMar DeRozan, pff, Allison, she got 45 for you. And she's going to get me dope guests. But no, nah, man, it's, it, I didn't expect them to win that game. I just didn't expect them to get their asses handed to them like they did. And what the hell was that at the end of the game where I'm watching the game, I'm kind of packing, I'm kind of eating, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, Los Angeles and the shows that we're getting ready to do. And I look up and they're only down by five points with a couple like seconds left in the game. Like, what the hell happened here? But what happened was the Bulls got themselves a little temperature check. You can mess around and have fun against the Orlandos of the world. Sorry, Cerruti. Against the Orlandos of the world, against, you know, some of these other teams. The Bulls are 7-1 and one against the West coming into that game, right? So they, you know, beat Portland. They beat some of these other squads. But there's a separation. There's a separation. The Bulls need a big man. The Bulls need themselves another wing, I think, that can play defense and knock down a shot. Bulls are relying on too many guys who just, let's face it, aren't top eight rotational guys on a championship roster. You know, a lot of Matt Thomas minutes, a lot of Malcolm Hill minutes, and let's face it, the three guys that get paid the most, and I'll keep harping on this, just aren't good enough defensively. They aren't. They can score their asses off. Those three guys in Vooch, Zach, and DeMar can mess around and get you 80 points on any given night. And damn near you expected at this point to come up with at least 65 to 80 points out of those three guys. But if Kobe White's not going crazy, if Ayo DeSumo is not playing out of his mind and not like a rookie, this team is very infallible. And um, I just, I just don't... <laughs> I don't, when, when we see the real deal, we kind of get recalibrated. And having a veteran leader like Chris Paul, having a dynamic young star like Devin Booker, having a guy like DeAndre Ayton who you can throw the ball down to or run pick and pop with, like they got a modern big, they got a score, they have a, a leader, they got a terrific coach in Monty Williams. And to me, what I really, and, and I knew this coming into the game, but sometimes watching it up close for, uh, 48 minutes, you you kind of get uh, confirmation on things. Mikael Bridges is the best defender in the NBA. Uh, I know a lot of guys get a lot of stuff off of uh, resume or uh, you know reputation. You know, that dude can defend every position on the court. And fives in a pinch, especially since fives are smaller these days. Mikael Bridges is the kind of player that you hope Patrick Williams will be. That, that you hope when you draft uh, a young, big-body dude, long arms, active hands, can knock down a three. Like, Mikael Bridges is kind of like Bruce Bowen 3.0, right? They skipped a whole edition. This ain't 2.0. This is 3.0. He can knock down shots. I know Philadelphia has ruined the day that they made that trade on draft night, by the way, because it was going to be such a special story. If you remember the story, um, Mikael Bridges' mom works in the 
office of the Philadelphia 76ers organization. And on draft night, she's crying, he's crying, they're having a good time. And oh, by the way, they're like, hey, don't put that 76ers hat on, fam. You've been traded. You're going to the desert. You're not going to be close to your mom. Sorry that we had to mess up this feel-good story. All the Phoenix Suns did was get one of the best 3 and D guys in the game. And while DeAndre Booker was going on, uh, DeAndre Booker, I just, I just threw their best two players into the fly machine. He came out with a super stud, by the way. When Devin Booker was, was, was going off and trying to get 40, finished with 38, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. When DeAndre Aiden is controlling the boards and, you know, making Vooch rim run, I know what that is. When Chris Paul is gouging their defense at the point of attack and making sure that drop defense is looking exactly like it's supposed to look when you got a Hall of Famer going up against it, I know what that is. But when Mikael Bridges is out there closing and recovering on Zach Levine after digging down on Vooch, when he is doing stuff off the ball that you recognize, oh, they, they can't run their play because that dude won't be screened. He's jumping over everything. Like, those are the players. We talk a lot about scores. We talk a lot about big threes and big twos and having all-stars. Nah, man, that's the shit right there. Those are the dudes who help you win championships. And Mikael Bridges, I think, is going to be a champion this year. I I think the Phoenix Suns are going to win the championship. And it it ain't just about seeing them, you know, recently being a prisoner of the moment. All they've been doing is running it back. And sometimes teams get caught in their running back like, oh, all right, let's just get to the playoffs. We'll, we'll show our dominance then. Those dudes have been on a mission since day one of this NBA season, and they have been executing that mission. And they came into the United Center and executed the mission again. In a game that was a statement game, the Bulls were out of that game the entirety of it. I mean, in the first quarter or so, the jabs were being thrown. You know, you got your sparring partner in the ring, which you want to see what their, what their life is like and what their counters are going to look like. Nah, after about the second quarter, midway through the second quarter, you saw the separation. You saw a team who was engineered right now to win a championship, and you saw a team who's reeling because of injuries uh, due to, you know, lack of front court depth before the injuries. So is it fair to, to put the Bulls and the Suns in the same sentence even when the Bulls are depleted? No, nah, but this season ain't going to be fair for the Bulls. Guys, you were, like Tom Thibodeau used to say, you got more than enough to win. I think they have more than enough to win, and I think they have more than enough to play defense. If you can play offense, you can play defense. It's, it's just an effort situation. And if you're making up for the deficiencies of Nikola Vuce, Vucevic and his uh, lack of you know, agility side to side or uh, you know, being scared of him hedging and coming up and stopping pick and rolls at the point of attack and then getting back, busting his tail, getting back to the rim to change shots, I can dig it. But you're going to have to figure something out. Billy Donovan is a... Is a um, very capable coach, a very, very good coach, a Hall of Fame coach, right? Like this guy who's won two national championships and has 300 wins already in his NBA career. And he's only been in the league, what, six years, seven years, something like that. This is a guy who can figure it out. He's going to have to figure it out because that point of attack defense is not working. It's not good enough. And teams know exactly, good teams know exactly what they have to do to come in and beat the Chicago Bulls on a nightly basis. Just stop them more times than you get stopped because they ain't going to stop you. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are terrific scorers, and we see that night in, night out. But there also was a little bit of, um, I won't say tension, but if you go back and watch that game, there were some, there were some situations there where DeMar DeRozan, who was, listen, he's, he's getting 40, 45 points a game over this last couple of games, but a lot of people aren't getting involved. They had no assists in the second quarter of that game. That's why I said the counterpunch happened in the second quarter. 
They knew the offense would, would get stagnant at some point. They knew both their ISO guys would try to save the game for the Bulls. And if you're not incredibly hot, that kind of basketball is going to get you beat because the Bulls don't hit a lot of three-pointers. They don't have a lot of shooters out there. And their main ball handlers are guys who are slashers and guys who get to the free throw line or a post-up guy. You know, obviously, Zach can hit a whole bunch of threes, but he's a streaky three-point shooter. So where they are right now is you got to slow it down. You got to bring the pace, not to a halt, not to a screeching halt, but you got to make sure you got enough defensive balance. Because right now, the defense that they're playing is not sustainable. They're taking the ball out of the rim too, uh, out of the net, I should say, too many times. So now you got to take it back to the lab. And I, we're close to the trade deadline. So Bulls fans are wondering, what's next? Is Jakob Pertle going to be a Bull? Is Dennis Schroeder going to be a Bull? All I know is the Indiana Pacers and the Sacramento Kings messed around and it was like, hey, guys, <laughs> here's, here's two bad teams just messing things all up for everybody. Tyrese Halliburton was a dude who I wanted in the draft process for the Bulls. That's the guy that I was like, put him next to Zach Levine and you're going to have your point guard who's going to be able to defend shooting guards and point guards if Zach wasn't able to. They drafted Patrick Williams because they got the fourth slot. I thought they were going to get the sixth slot with the way the lottery balls were uh, set up to, 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 you know, slot them. Tyrese Halliburton, Demontis Sabonis, I, I think is a fantastic player, right? An all-star, but... Tyrese Halliburton, I think, is going to be the best player in this trade between the Sacramento Kings and the Indiana Pacers. And you got two teams now who are trying to figure out their lot in life. They got log jams in certain positions. But don't look now. The Eastern Conference young teams, like the Orlando Magic, and now the Indiana Pacers with the move that they made, sending Karis LeVert to the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and getting picks, they got Chris Duarte. <laughs> they got Tyrese Halliburton. They got Miles Turner now without Demonis Sabonis going forward. TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon. Like this Eastern Conference is getting semi-loaded, especially in the middle of it. You know, the Charlotte Hornets are going to have people wanting to come play with LaMelo Ball. And Indiana, no one in slot in life as a small market team, they want what's comfortable now as opposed to a bushel load of draft picks, right? So you've got a bunch of young players on that team. And the Bulls are, you know, Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas. The window is now every single year in the NBA because, you know, that whole rebuilding thing, I think a lot of people are, and fans are learning that it's not as easy as you think it is. So the rolling rebuild is what's happening. Look at what's happening with Portland. Trading C.J. McCollum to the New Orleans Pelicans for Josh Hart, which I think is kind of a a wild move because if you look at it on his face, you think, all right, C.J. McCollum, 27 point per game score, going to play with Zion and going to play with Brandon Ingram. But for the money that Josh Hart is making, I, you know, he's what, a $10, $11 million player. C.J.'s close to 30. The value there, I think, is similar. And, and I know it's going to sound crazy, but the value, what you're getting out of Josh Hart defensively and what, what he means to that Pelicans team uh, defensively, I think the value there, you know, unless you're trying to just entice Zion Williamson and not go to New York here in a couple of years, uh, I think it might be a, a sideways, if not a backwards move for the New Orleans Pelicans going forward. So this trade deadline has been kind of crazy. You know, the Cleveland Cavaliers upped and said, hey, we're a contender. Uh, the Indiana Pacers got themselves, I think, a terrific young point guard. Now, who's going who's gonna to have the ball in their hands more? Him or Malcolm Brogdon, the guy that you paid a lot to and a guy who's like one of the more underrated, undervalued players in the NBA. It's just, I don't know what a lot of these teams are doing. But I'm glad they're doing stuff because it's interesting. And I'm just sitting in the cut like every other Bulls fan waiting to see what the Bulls do. But do they have anything to do something with? 
They need everything that's on their roster right now. They, they need the scoring of a Kobe White. Right, they're hoping to get Pat Williams back because of their front court depth issues. Do you trade one of those guys and then mess up the team chemistry because this team does ride for each other in a way that I haven't seen in a long, long time? That's including the Jimmy Butler years, like going back to the Derrick Rose years. There's a, there's a certain chemistry and a certain bond and a certain culture that this team is building right now. Do you upset that with an outsider? Right, because it's not a video game. Can't just slot in guys and just hope that their uh, their overall rating is just going to improve your team. No, it doesn't work like that. So Bulls find themselves in a little bit of a trick bag where they need some help. Help may not be on the way soon, and help may not be on the roster, but they're still atop the Eastern Conference along with the Miami Heat and some of these other teams. It's just when you're this gouged defensively, time in and time out, um, it's not sustainable. And then what happens is you start to work a little bit harder on the offensive end. Guys start to play more minutes than they should. You know, we haven't even seen, and you know, knock on wood here, but we haven't even seen DeMar DeRozan go through any real injury issues as of yet. We've seen him go through the health and safety protocol stuff, but his usage being this high, this, um, I won't say early, but this, at this portion or, or, or this uh, point of the season, it's not for concern, but don't be surprised if you start to see some rest games for DeMar as well. Because All-Star Week ain't a rest. They're going there to fulfill their sponsorship ob- obligations, their NBA obligations for their teams. I mean, it's, it's a full week of doing stuff. So uh, I'll be interested to see after Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas, uh kind of get the lay of the land here, what ma- moves are made, if any. Uh, Thursday is the trade deadline. We're, we're going to be monitoring that thing for you on this pod like none other. We'll probably pop on some of the people from the, the good people from the ringer who write about these things. Uh, but I, I can't, I, if I was a betting man, I think the Bulls go out and get themselves a backup big for as minimal a price as possible. I don't think any big moves are going to be made, but some pretty big names have been uh, flying here, there, and everywhere in the NBA, just not for the Bulls. And and the Phoenix Suns are those dudes, right? That's an NBA championship team, an NBA championship caliber team. Uh, and I think Bulls fans found out uh, how far the Bulls might just be away from it. They're, they're not as far as you probably thought coming into the season. But after that, they're damn sure not as close to me either. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. Have you ever been outside of Chicago? Outside Chicago. Outside. 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 Where we at? Outside! All right, it's time for Outside the Shot. We do this every once in a while here on the Full Go Podcast. And this time, it's about somebody who's actually inside the shot. 
Lovey Smith is going to become the fifth head coach of the Houston Texans in their franchise history. And you might ask yourself, oh, Jay, why are you doing this? You're probably not even asking yourself, Jay, why are you doing this? You already know why I'm doing this. To be a black head coach in the NFL right now is a, is a, a sticky proposition. It's a slippery slope because after the Brian Flores class action suit, uh, I thought, and it seems like it's working out like this, that the best time to be a black head coach is to be one after a black head coach calls out the injustices of being a black head coach. And now you got Mike McDaniels, who is, you know, black on his grandmama's side or whatever the case may be. Shout out to him. I'm not throwing any shade. And I hope the young man does a terrific job in uh, Miami. But you have a man in Lovey Smith who obviously has Chicago ties. We all know what Lovey Smith means and meant to the Chicago Bears organization. And the, the Chicago Bears organization hasn't been right since Lovey Smith left. Now, you may say that's because of Lovey Smith. You may say it's because of poor talent evaluation by the front office, whatever the case may be. I just know the last time this team felt whole and the last time this team felt like there was sustainable success. And let's face it, Lovey Smith had a couple of uh, down seasons before his 10-6 season, but he never had a season where players weren't playing hard for him. And if anything, Lovey Smith's downfall as Chicago Bears head coach was um, sometimes his own stubbornness on the offensive end and also uh, his stubbornness uh, when it came to assistant coaches and coordinators. But I digress. Lovey Smith is going to be introduced as the Houston Texans' next head coach. And I'm sitting back in the cut like, hmm, how did this happens. So all you got to do is take a look at the reports. I mean, the reports are that the Houston Texans, who, who didn't even have Lovey Smith on their interview list, they wanted Josh McCown. They wanted Josh McCown to be their next head coach. All the reports were leading to Josh McCown becoming the next head coach of the Houston Texans after, I believe, coaching a couple years in high school football, whatever the case may be. Josh McCown is renowned as one of the good guys in the NFL or in the NFL community. So this ain't no shade to Josh McCown. Uh, former Chicago Bear, Josh McCown. I'm sure the Adam Hogues and the Adam Johns and the Pat Finleys and the Brad Biggs of the world and all those dudes who cover uh, the Chicago Bears and all those gals who cover the Chicago Bears would attest to Josh McCown being a, a stand-up dude, a decent guy while he was here in Chicago for the short time he was here. This isn't any shade towards Josh McCown. This is shade to the NFL way of thinking and also the Houston Texans and more importantly, Bob McNair and Jack Easterby. Because when it comes down to it, these two men were getting ready to hire a guy who had never been a head coach on any serious level of football. High school football is one thing. Shout out to ICC Prep uh, with our guy Matt Bowen out there doing big things with those kids. But collegiately and professionally, it's a different pipeline. It's a different discipline. It's a different uh, way of interacting and dealing with uh, men playing the game that is detrimental to their lives. You have to be able to rally uh, a bunch of guys to make them believe that they could do things that they probably don't think they can do. And those teams that do that, those coaches that do that, you find the ultimate glory and legacies are built off of that. Lovey Smith, as a Chicago Bear head coach, was uh, sometimes tough to deal with for certain media members. Uh, he didn't give you the greatest sound bites of all time, but what he did do was rally a bunch of dudes from a 
bunch of different places, a bunch of different corners of the earth to play a style of football. And let's not let's not ever, ever get it twisted. Lovey Smith made it to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman and Kyle Orton. And for as much consternation as that um, <laughs> that duo provided to a lot of Bears fans, whether it be you were in the Orton, Orton camp, I almost went Ortman, by the way, <laughs> whether you were in the Orton camp or whether you were in the Grossman camp, uh, you always knew that you were talking about, at times, an average quarterback, but more times than not, a below-average quarterback that was getting ready to try to lead the Bears into glory. And they got all the way there in Miami going up against the Indianapolis Colts and Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning and Dominic Rose and Jeff Saturday and all those boys, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harris, and all those dudes on that side where you knew uh, the Bears had to play a perfect football game for them to win that thing. And in the end, they didn't. And let's face it, when the Bears got into that Super Bowl with the Colts, we knew exactly what the deal was. We knew the Bears were the lesser team. We knew the Bears had the lesser quarterback, maybe the lesser offensive line. Definitely not the lesser defense, but uh, the Indianapolis Colts were the favorite for a reason. But we went into that thing understanding that, hey, man, this is, this is what it should feel like. And Lovey Smith was the guy that led the Bears there. Since then... You've had Mark Tressman and John Fox and Matt Nagy and a host of other guys, you know, guys that haven't fit the bill. And as we look forward, the Houston Texans understand exactly what they were doing when they said, hey, Lovey Smith, come be our head coach. Josh McCown had had no professional coaching experience, but reportedly was the leader in the clubhouse when it came to getting that job. So Brian Flores, class action suit, all the hubbub and everything that follows afterwards, Lovey Smith now is the guy. The Houston Texans don't deserve Lovey Smith, and Lovey Smith doesn't deserve what's coming, which is probably another firing. The Houston Texans are no damn good. I don't believe the Houston Texans are going to be good here in the next couple of seasons. I don't believe Lovey Smith is going to win with this te- Houston Texans team that he presently has. But what do you do if you're Lovey Smith? Are you the black coach that says, nah, I'm cool? I don't need this gig, even though I love coaching and I love the game of football, and then be shown as the black guy who didn't take the gig? Or do you take this gig, and then after a year and a half, everybody's looking at you crazy, and you summarily will be fired afterwards? I I don't know. All I know is Jack Easterby and Bob McNair, who are Googleable in terms of what they stand for and uh, some of the things that they have, uh, shall I say, engaged in, (laughs) in their times as front office and ownership, respectively. We know who they are. The Houston Texans are not a franchise that is built to win right now, and that's exactly what black coaches are being handed. Franchises that you need to lose with. Franchises that need a bridge coach. Franchises that need somebody to get them over the hump for a little bit before they go out and get the guy that they truly want. And I'm not saying all those coaches are black coaches, but Far too often for my tastes and other black consumers' tastes, that's the coach that they go for. So Lovey Smith is going to be Lovey Smith. He's going to do the job that he signed up to do. He's always wanted to be a head coach, whether it be at Illinois or the Chicago Bears before that. And now he's the head coach of the Houston Texans. I don't see success in his future. I don't see this Texans team being turned around. And on top of that, if they are turned around, at some point, there's going to be somebody else that's brought in. Lovey Smith right now is being used the same way other black coaches have been used before, unfortunately. They're being used to get you over the hump, or in this case, to fill a quota. 
And it sounds awful to say, but Lovey Smith, who wasn't even on the interview list, all of a sudden getting this job after a class action suit has been filed. Yeah, the Houston Texans played musical chairs in minority hiring and were left without a chair. They had to hire this man. Dennis Allen, New Orleans Saints, different story. But as it comes down, all I see is the NFL just moving furniture around on the Titanic. And none of this is really going to change for the foreseeable future, at least I don't think in my time, and I hope it will, but generations after this hopefully will have a different NFL experience and a different blackhead coaching experience. And if you're asking, oh my goodness, why is this such a big deal? The fact that a class action suit is filed and a guy who isn't even on the interview list all of a sudden gets vaulted to the top of the candidacy after reports come out that say that a guy who has never had head coaching experience before is their lead dog. Yeah, this is why this is happening. This is why so many black and brown faces are talking about this. And this is why it matters. The Super Bowl is a stage that is set as a national holiday, it is the showcase event for the NFL. Hell, it's the showcase event for America. It's the reason why the halftime show and all these things matter. It's the reason why these sponsorship deals are through the roof and billions and billions of dollars are spent on 60-second and 30-second commercials. All eyes are on the NFL at all times, and especially in this time. And in this time, while we're leading up to Super Bowl week, I hope all eyes are on what's going on with minority hiring in the NFL, not just because of Brian Flores, but the aftermath of it, the scraps that are thrown to black coaches, black coaches who deserve a lot more. And Lovey Smith is one of those coaches. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. All right, that's all the time we have for episode 62 of The Full Goal. We will return Thursday night for day two on Radio Row here in Los Angeles, California for Super Bowl 56. We'll sit down with Cam Jordan of the New Orleans Saints, ask him, is Dennis Allen the answer? We'll also have Najee Harris of the Pittsburgh Steelers because he is going to be in a backfield now without Ben Roethlisberger. So looking forward to having a conversation with him and Seth Rollins of the WWE, more importantly, of Chicago Bears fandom will join us as well. And we're going to have one of the all-time greats at the running back position, Emmett Smith. So don't go anywhere. I'm saying as if you can tune in later, but you know where the pod will be. Don't forget us, as always, you can hit up the full goal voicemail line, 773-359-3103. 773-359-3103 is the voicemail line. We'd like to thank our producers, uh, the guys who, every time I fire up this Zoom, I feel like I'm in good hands. The shadowy figure, the man himself, Steve Cerruti, Chris Tannehill, and Jesse Lopez. I'm in Jesse's neck of the woods, so definitely going to be leaning on him while I'm out here in Los Angeles. As always, for the fellas, I am Jason Goff. Thanking you for downloading, sharing, subscribing, listening to, rating, and reviewing this thing. We appreciate every single time you click on it. This has been the Full Go Podcast brought to you by The Ringer. As always, we leave you with this. Take care of each other and remember to be safe. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. 
Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.